Hey everybody, it's Ben Reiser, uh, Director of Operations for the Wisconsin Film Festival and also head of the Wisconsin's own programming committee here with another, uh, what we're pretending is a post-screening Q&A. So hopefully, if you're listening to this, you've just watched or watched in the recent past Operation Wolf Patrol. I'm here with that film's director, Joe Brown, and its star, its main subject, Rod Coronado. Thanks so much, both of you, for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Ben. So um, I want to talk, I want to sort of split our time, and I'm sure things will blend and blur between the actual sort of how this film came together and all the filmmaking elements and all the production issues and those things and the post-production and the editing and all that stuff. And then, of course, to talk about uh, the issues that are raised in this film. But uh, I get the sense, um, both from watching the film, but also from um you know uh being aware uh of this film and also seeing the version that was submitted versus what what i just was able to watch which i believe is is is, is slightly different um i'm not sure but i feel like there's a new opening is that possible um well i'm trying to remember Perhaps. I mean, there's been many iterations of the film. I should maybe double check to make sure I sent you the right version. No, no, no. And it's and it listen, I mean, it's all great and it happens all the time. But but my 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 question or my statement sort of was it's Joe, it feels like this project has been occupying your time and energy for a long time now. And I'm really interested to hear how it all started, how you connected with Rod to begin with what the origins of the project were compared to what this let's not even well let this iteration this film that we're now seeing uh how you sure. got from a to z sure yeah and um i could try to answer all those but as far as the opening goes i can say real quickly we you know we kind of cut together a a little bit of like almost like a trailer teaser at the beginning that some mm -hmm. people call like a netflix type opening like kind of hook to hook people hopefully and keep them watching it, you know? Um, and I think the film stands on its own, but we know in this day and age that people kind of have other options and they watch a few minutes of something and then if they're not really hooked, they move on. So it, it does open, I think, kind of in a big way. Um, but the story of the film is, it did occupy my time for many, many years and the issues in the film still do and the, the issues certainly still occupy part of Rod's life. I don't want to speak for Rod, but I know he's still working on these things. Um, but you know, it started around 2013. I had moved to Wisconsin to take a teaching job at Marquette in Milwaukee. And I was hearing things on the radio, I think about the wolf hunt and I'm interested in environmental issues. So I was like, what's going on with this? And I was looking for a new project. I like to tell people that I also had a young child that she was three months old at the time when I first got there. Um, and you know, within the first year of her life, when I started working on this, and I was kind of looking for a pro and con film, like, you know, what's good about wolves? What's bad? Like something kind of easy because I had a baby at home. But then I found Rod online and I messaged him and I didn't really think he would respond because it was just kind of a random, you know, like GoFundMe or something messaging app. And um, but he responded and we chatted and um, and I knew he was going out in the field. And a big part of what he was wanting to do at that point was to, to document, you know, to use cameras to document what was going on in the woods. And I said, well, I can help with that. And uh, I'm interested in it and interested in learning more about Rod and his story. So I went to meet him, I think one afternoon at his home in Michigan. And I think I drove out and we hung out for a few hours and then I drove back. And then 
joined him in the field in northern Wisconsin for the October 2014 wolf hunt, which was the last one before, you know, the one they just had in February. But in between October 2014 and this more recent hunts, there was still a lot going on with, uh, well, one, they, they stopped the hunt for a while, but there was still going, a lot going on with poaching. And there were other issues that Rod was introducing me to, bear baiting and all these things that Rod can probably speak better to. Uh, and of course, a lot of really frustrated hunters who didn't like the presence of cameras in the woods. So that, I don't know, that did that answer your question, Ben? Yeah, it, it begins to. Um, uh, I'm curious, there's at a certain point in the film, there's this, uh, I guess, a court deposition video of you. And you are asked specifically, are you part of Wolf Patrol? Right. And you say, I am not part of Wolf Patrol. But uh, watching some of the footage in the film, uh, the lines feel a little blurry to me as a viewer, uh, because there is, it's sometimes hard to tell uh, the difference, if there is any, between footage that you're shooting for this documentary. And again, I, I guess I, I kind of want to hear more about what was in your head once you started working with Rod, what in your mind, and even the conversations that the two of you may have had about what it is that you were there to do, and what it is that you're what your footage was intended to become uh, ultimately. But there's there's a lot of footage that, yes, feels like sort of verite footage of these various confrontations. And then there's some talking heads footage of Rod and the other members of Wolf Patrol uh, that are clearly like, uh, I'm sitting down for an interview, I'm recounting uh, my thoughts and feelings about this incident that you're about to see or have just seen. But then there's also a few instances that feel and seem to be more uh, Rod talking directly to the camera, not in a talking head interview, but more of like uh, he's doing his, what I assume were videos that he would then post on Facebook or YouTube. And it's hard to tell, and it almost feels like the, that you are shooting those too, and that so you are the cameraman for Rod's sort of advocacy uh, videos on Facebook. So I'd love to hear about about that stuff sure <laughs> if yeah that's a question yeah th no those are really good questions so um i mean we did spend a good like four years in the field so i would say we definitely became friendly and i was friendly with all the crew of wolf patrol and sympathetic to a lot of their views um so i mean to answer the question of like whether i was part of wolf patrol or not you know in the deposition i say i was not and i still hold that i was not but when you do spend 12 hours a day in a car with people for five days straight, you know, once a month or something while we're doing patrols. Yeah. You do become pretty close. I guess I, the other way I would answer this is I would say I'm a documentarian. I value journalism. Sometimes I work in a journalistic type fashion, but that's not what I was really trying to do with this film. And that doesn't mean I was trying to misreport or misrepresent, but my main goal in this film was to bring some light to the issues and also make you feel as if you were part of the crew, make you feel as if you were going along for the ride. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and I, I have been critiqued, like there's no hunter voices in here. And I said, well, you know, I mean, I feel like hunter voices are represented well in other places, you know? So it's, you know, and I get it. That's a fair critique, but that's just not what I was trying to do. Um, as and far so as I'm sorry. So you did you you never even attempted to talk to that like Adam Jarko or whatever his name is or or anybody. You never attempted to do any sort of talking head interviews with anyone on the quote unquote other side of the issue. 
generally, no. I mean, we met with hunters and there was some kind of, it was usually like they didn't want to be filmed, you know, mm-hmm. uh, Rod would set up like a meeting and I would go along and then, you know, and there were a couple of times where we got some audio, but you know, again, that wasn't really the story I wanted to tell. And um, I mean, I will say like, I mean, I don't actually really feel like I need to do that. I wanted to make you feel like you were part of the crew, but I could say, you know, like if you look at all the Wisconsin conservation Congress board and, you know, the DNR, there's a lot of good people doing a lot of good work there and a lot of educated people, but there's also a lot of representation from pro hunting groups and there's not much room for folks who enjoy wildlife in other ways. You know, I mean, we, we noticed Safari Club International, NRA, and a lot of these types of groups are populating those boards. They have their say. So it is, you know, it's a, it's a biased piece without a doubt, but um, you know, I, I'm okay with that. That's what I was trying to do in terms of rod's own videos he had his own camera i supplied them with cameras to get footage when i wasn't there and you know sometimes he would do things sometimes i would film them because i thought they would be good for the film and so in some ways i aided them but it was kind of giving them tips and such but i always had the own my own film in mind and i don't think i ever directed them on like what to do or anything like that um i don't know rod do you want to say anything about any of that or well um You know, when when you joined Joe, the project, it was pretty much just beginning. And so we hadn't we had an idea of what we wanted Wolf Patrol to do, but we had yet to to uh, evolve or hone what our effectiveness would be in the field. And and so that was kind of like a a practice that, you know, we discovered the subculture in Wisconsin once the wolf hunt ended because there are still continuing threats to wolves. And as you said, you know, what we really discovered was the influence of the hunting lobby and specifically hound hunting in Wisconsin and how state regulations are so lax that it actually encourages a lot of people to go there and run their dogs for bears or coyotes or now wolves. Um, so in, in a lot of ways, um, you know, I've always known that the model of using video, using, uh, you know, motion picture to, to show people expose things when it comes to environmental abuse, animal abuse is very powerful. And uh, Joe, I think, just helped us learn how to how to um, refine that tactic. You know, uh, we hadn't we didn't have a YouTube channel when we started, but now we have, you know, over 300 videos on it. And so, you know, we learned that it wasn't, you know, Joe was always working on his project. But in the meantime, we were pumping out, you know, short little three minute videos, you know, and he helped us a lot with those. Um, yeah, so it's, it's a thin line, but at the same time. You know, that's what we learned is, is that Wolf Patrol's power is the camera lens. It's it's showing people something that they otherwise wouldn't see or that some people don't even want them to see. And so in that way, the documentary was, you know, the objective of Wolf Patrol just as much as, you know, our videos or our presence in the field. Yeah. I mean, yeah, and I totally get that. And um, uh, Rod, I'm kind of, I'm also sort of wondering when Joe first contacted you and then when you started hanging out with him, like what was going through your head as far as, you know, are there sort of trust issues that you have to grapple with to make sure that you know where Joe's coming from and that he is a a sympathetic uh, eye and ears and voice uh, for you? Or were you... Uh, did, did you guys click right away or was there sort of a getting to know you period? Uh, I think uh, the getting to know you period lasted very short. You know, as soon as we went into the field together in October, uh, you know, we, we started um, 
instantly finding ourselves in situations that would test people. And uh, um, and uh, I've always known that, you know, the, the more cameras in the field, the better. So I was more than happy to have Joe along. Uh, had yet to discover whether that was going to be a hindrance or, or, or a help. And it definitely turned into be a huge uh, asset. Um, and also, you know, I'm a father too. It was easy to see Joe raising his daughter, you know, uh, all those long drives we did. We drove across country a couple times together, spending a lot of time together. You know, it's, you know, I was developing a new form of activism and in, in a way Joe's film work is his form of activism. So it, it worked out for both of us, you know, as, you know, while at the same time we both were juggling, you know, other jobs and children's schedules. <laughs> Yeah, um, and I, I have some oh, yeah. anecdotes there, Ben. If, uh, uh, I remember the first time I spoke with Rod, um, you know, I said, well, you know, maybe I could come out with you or whatever. And that was on the phone. And then I went to meet him. And I think he said to me, well, you know, you'd be welcome as long as you're one, not with the FBI and two, not annoying. And I said, I'm <laughs> definitely not with the FBI. And then I said, you'll just have to decide if I'm annoying or not. And then, you know, I guess I wasn't that annoying. Although sometimes when I was like, let's, let's try that shot again or whatever. Uh, which was a lot of the time. Um, but then I think, you know, I mean, Rod has a long history in environmental activism more than I have, but, you know, I'm familiar with some of the ideas and I'd read a lot of the literature, you know, some, some of the same literature, maybe that Rod had read in the past, you know, um, about deep ecology or whatever it might be. And so, you know, I mean, I had an understanding of some of the things that he had been, um, you know, grappling with in his mind and his life earlier or, the, or his viewpoints. That was really a bad way of saying it, but it's his viewpoints and such. And I, I knew of like the Sea Shepherd, which Rod was a part of. And, you know, even though I hadn't participated in those things, I wasn't just like a completely naive uh, camera operator. I have some knowledge of environmental activism. So I think that maybe helped us, you know, have something to talk about. Um, but it was also like, this is happening right now. They're going to kill wolves. Let's try to document it. And boom, get out there and do it, like you said. And then we find ourselves in situations. Um, so anyhow, so a couple yeah. of anecdotes. No, that's great. So, I mean, it, you know, in addition to sort of the lines being a little bit blurred behind the scenes, behind the camera, the, the film itself feels to me like a sort of a hybrid of a few different kind of documentary filmmaking styles and that it's this advocacy piece. But honestly, there's a pretty big chunk of it that feels more like it's a portrait documentary of you, Rod. And I'm wondering how comfortable or uncomfortable uh, you've been with discovering that 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 your sort of story, uh, apart from your, you know, actions and advocacy uh, becomes a major element of the film. Oh, it's it's something that, you know, I, I I'm not comfortable with it. I've gotten used to it, but I don't know that I've ever been comfortable with it. And, um, you know, um, but I also know that sometimes people like to hear a story and and the story that Joe helped portray that that I like about the documentary is is the one that you know of my life post prison post radical career decisions and post having kids and uh, still trying to be involved in the game and and uh, and I like that element of it. It really uh, comes through. But um, but you know the the bigger the bigger issue is that I'd like to to see the film do is a. Uh, is uh, empower other individuals to get involved in, in Wisconsin wolf issues and wildlife issues. And, and I do hope that by them seeing, despite my background, I hope that they do see also that, you know, really what we are is just people in, in the field with cameras on public lands and, 
And that's something that all of us can do. It, it may seem intimidating and, and, and scary for a lot of people to, to do such things, but there's also a lot of empowerment with that. Uh, so, you know, it's a trade-off, you know, it's, you know, I'd say uh, from my experience with journalists, you know, Joe's been the minimally uh, invasive when he talks about, you know, uh, what he was documenting versus people trying to write a script for you and have you say and do certain things. And, and so in that way, you know, it was very authentic, uh, the project and, and that that's what I, that was worth everything, you know, and it was never, uh, Joe was never annoying or the project was never annoying. You know, there's always the benefit that comes with, with having uh, cameras in the field, like I would say, and, uh, um, and, uh, and uh, yeah, it helped protect me and my crew. And, and, uh, um, and so it's, it's good to see this one product, you know, and, and, but it's also, uh, you know, I, it's hard because for four years, Joe was our primary camera person. And, you know, now that the wolf hunts back, you know, and Joe's living in Colorado, we really miss him. We wish he was still a part of the project, but we, you know, we, we always knew that it was going to be like this, you know, and if anything, I'm, I'm just grateful that the project did last as long as it did. I remember when Joe told me he did not want it to last this long. It was not going to last this long, but in the end, I'm glad it did. Yeah. Uh, well, it's interesting whenever you do a longitudinal story, you know, a lot changes over the years. Right. And I mean, that's where, um, I mean, I will say the film started out with me being interested in telling the story of what Rod was doing in present day, but also I had it in my mind that I would do more about his past. Right. But then I think what happened is, I mean, Rod has had a unique life and he's done a lot of interesting things, but that got, you know, kind of, overshadowed or take, you know, that the present day issues took over and the hunter harassment law really started to weigh on what he was doing and separately what I was doing, right? Like he was using cameras, I was using cameras. So we were both affected and that law was written for what we were doing. I mean, they, we were named in the bill, right? So, you know, then it was like, well, there's not as much room to tell Rod's story of 30 years of activism. Let's kind of touch on it and be like, this is what Rod has done. And now he's doing this new thing. But we we came, you know, we became so wrapped up in what was going on. And it took many years to kind of unravel what what was going to go on. Like, okay, there's a law. Are they going to enforce it? Are people going to get arrested? Um, And then I think the other interesting thing to consider here, though, is is what Rod's bringing up is this idea of cameras in the field. Cameras in the field are useful. But we live in a world now where there are cameras everywhere but somehow they shouldn't be in the woods where there are hunters, right? Like there's cameras everywhere on everybody's phones. And it's something we have to grapple with. And it seems as if law enforcement's grappling with it. Obviously they're grappling with it across society, Black Lives Matters and other areas. Mm-hmm. And, and now they're grappling with it in the woods too. And I mean, I think that's a good thing, right? Because it, we all deserve to be able to see what's happening in public spaces, whether it's public forest or public streets right yes and i want to get into that in a second i just I just before we completely leave the rod coronado portrait aspect of the film uh one of the most affecting uh i think sections in the film uh and that everyone on the committee who's anyone everyone i know who's who's seen this film so far talks to me about this are the interviews uh with your parents and um um, you know, them talking about their perspective on your sort of earlier, more radical uh, career. Uh, what's it like 
What's it like for you to see that footage, Rod? And is that stuff that are you hearing stuff from them in the film that you don't have have an experience with them in in person? Or is this or you're like, yes, I know this is how they're feeling and this is how they've been affected? No, it brought up a lot. You know, it was um it was very uh emotional for me to see the lens of my parents speaking to the camera and, and telling Joe, you know, their, their thoughts and feelings and concerns and, and, uh, you know, about my choice in my life and my path. And, uh, um, and it's, it's been difficult, you know, that's been a big part of what, you know, we wanted to do was to find a way to, to, you know, advocate for wildlife and, but yet do it without costing anybody jail time, you know, and that's always been my path in the past. And so to, to me, uh, I've, you know, I'd like my parents to to see the work that I'm doing now as a way that I found that's legal, that I'm actually working with conservation officers and the DNR and, and other agencies. Uh, but I can't take away that element of danger. And that's what, because that's what they see. And that's the first thing they're going to see. And they don't, they don't care how many wolves it saves. They don't want it to cost me my life, you know? And so, so yeah, there's no, there's no easy answer to that. You know, it, it concerns me. Um, uh, but you know, it also reminds me of you know I have, I have a son as well, and and uh, you know I, I also do the things that I've done you know and stay within the law because I, because of him I want to be a part of his life too you know and and that's a that's a good part of the film that I, I like that Joe conveys is is that that that's what we wanted to do is we wanted to show people a way to to act for wildlife you know and even push the envelope but but not have it be something that was going to cost them you know personal injury or their life or jail time. Yeah. I mean, and I think it's really refreshing your attitude, at least on screen um, about your past and about people who try to use it against you, you know, in these confrontations on the, on, on the road and in court and at, at hearings. Um, and that your basic attitude that we see is like, yeah, uh-huh. And so what, you know, that was me then, this is me now. I'm not going to be intimidated by my own past. I'm not going to allow you to use it as a weapon against me. Uh, but I wonder, um, is that how you feel all the time? Do you see that part of your life as a necessary step in your journey towards where to, to get where you are now? Uh, and I'm, and of course you're still on your journey, uh, or do you have regrets and think, oh, God, I wish I hadn't have, I wish, I hadn't have done that. And, you know, I wish I could have, I wish I could have that time back to do, to do it differently. Well, uh, you know, if I could do it all over again, there's one side of me that says, yes, you know, I wish I would have never broken the law and I would have went straight into college and got a wildlife degree, focused on wolves, moved to Wisconsin in 1985, 1990, when I would have graduated and get, you know, be involved with the DNR so that these kinds of issues would have been influenced by people like me. You know, that's one benefit of what would have could have happened. Uh, uh, but the best I can do now is to to create, you know, a way to show people, you know, um, uh, you know, it's quasi official. You know, we're never going to, you know, Wolf Patrol, me, I'm never going to have the credibility that I could have because of that criminal history that's always, you know, uh, thrown in my face and reminded. But um but, you know, to be honest, you know, it's also very difficult because there's many moments when I don't want to follow that path anymore. You know, when I'm, you know, when we want to step on traps, you know, when we want to like mess with bear baits and 
block roads and do things that we know will prevent conflicts with wolves, you know? And so it's still, it's still a challenge, you know, even at my age, I'm 54 now. And, and, and this past wolf hunt, you know, we had serious conversations with, with my crew of five years because we found ourselves in a position where we thought we might have to break the law. You know, if we see something that is just not going to be tolerable for us as conscious human beings to witness, i.e. a wolf in a trap, then maybe we're going to have to do something that isn't going to be in line with the, with the, uh, what we've been doing all these years and what this documentary shows. But, you know, that's life, you know, and, and, I, and I respect the sacrifices that my crew have made and that Joe's made that, you know, you know, we've, we've put the time in and that if anybody's going to do that kind of action, then it should be people that are, you know, are so frustrated because they've been trying all every other avenue and failed, you know, that's kind of a, you know, what's, you know, what the potential of what could happen is, is that the, the, the scales are tipped so much against wildlife in Wisconsin and people see that with a wolf hunt that people do start just going out there in the field and start spiking roads and messing with trail cameras and traps and that kind of thing. I mean, you know, we'll, we'll be blamed for it always, but at the same time, I'm not going to necessarily be unhappy about it either. <laughs> right. Um, uh, yeah. So, and, and I want to talk about this most recent wolf hunt, which I would imagine the results of which are devastating to you um, uh, and or anyone who cares about, about wolves and, 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 and hunters sticking to the even the even the loosest of regulations that are in place um or or not uh but but so i'm a i'm a big city kid from brooklyn new york and so hunting the hunting culture the 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 understanding of the need for hunting is completely lost on me so i kind of want to back up and try to understand some of even the most basic issues that are presented in this film and get a little clarification from the two. I feel like I'm like an idiot when it comes to this stuff. And I'm like, I don't even understand like from word one, I'm like, wait, why does this happen? So one of the things that we learn early on in the film is that the state of Wisconsin pays hunters $2,500 per dog for every dog that dies during the, uh, I guess any legal hunting system, uh, uh, um, seasons um what what is the benefit to the state for these hunts like what what is the benefit of the of a, of a bear hunt to the state of wisconsin and, and even what is the benefit of deer hunting to the state of wisconsin like it, it or tell me more about this are, are the are, are is the is the is the concept that the that that these that the herds need to be culled because there's too many of these animals and they're they're they're, they're a danger to, to people and to domesticated animals. You, I, the, the, the argument in favor of uh, bear hunting, deer hunting, you know, they, slight, they slightly differ, but a lot of it has to do with tradition. That's, uh, uh, you know, emboldened in the constitution of Wisconsin, giving people the right to hunt fish and trap. And, uh, you know, that is all based on the wise use of public trust resources, which, you know, we've never been against, you know, Wolf Patrol has never been an animal rights organization. We've always recognized responsible wildlife management as a, as a valuable tool in uh, uh, preserving habitat. And so uh, it's very different though, when you start getting into the subculture of hound hunting that we've focused on, because 
it turns quickly into group hunting. Some people call it party hunting because you have multiple groups of people participating in the pursuit of one animal. Uh, so it quickly changes from being, you know, somebody out trying to fill their freezer to feed their family with meat to people going out every weekend from July to fall and just running their dogs and just to have fun, you know, even if they don't kill an animal. Uh, and then when you're dealing with situations like coyote hunting with hounds or wolf hunting with hounds, nobody's eating those animals at all. It's purely, purely a trophy hunt, purely a recreational sport activity. Uh, so uh, the other thing that we, 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 we discovered when we were looking at Wisconsin over the, the last five, six years is, is that the technological influence in modern hunting that is most ev easily evident in hound hunting because of its dependency on satellites with global positioning system, GPS callers on every dog that they run in the field so that they can be miles away from their handlers. And so uh, all of these things, I think were really uh, a, a quick reality check for us because you know we, we were never against ethical hunting or subsistence hunting but we quickly saw that in, in places like Wisconsin and other places, and especially with sports like hound hunting, that you know, they have become a very evolved sport dependent on technology that you spend a lot of money on, whether it be for dogs or gear. And it's not really about feeding your family, you know. Um, mm -hmm. uh, I, could, I, 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 I could add I, a few things there, Ben, if, if yeah. you have a second. Yeah, yeah um, go ahead. Sure. And I think, you know, with the deer hunt in Wisconsin, I think you know, there is an idea that they're going to eat that meat, right? And they do, right? And I know it does contribute to the economy. And I know it's a huge tradition and perhaps some bonding for, for families. Um, the bear hunting, that's a whole nother story. I don't know how many people are actually eating bear. Apparently some do. Um, but the way that I see that $2,500 is, and it's mostly paid out for the bear hounds, right? Um, the state seems to think or hunters have convinced the state that the bear population needs to be managed in that, you know, we are the ones who are basically helping to do that. And so if we lose a dog, you should compensate us. That's the way I understand it. The, the interesting thing that we found, you know, in being out in the woods and reading articles and talking to people is that, I mean, yes, there's a high bear population in Wisconsin, but um, with the bear baiting that's unregulated and putting donuts and waffle cones and cookies into these baits, they're actually increasing the amount of calories that bears are, you know, ingesting, taking in. And that there are scientific papers that state or at least speculate and, and say this is probably raising, you know, the, the number of bears born like in a litter. Right. So it could be increasing like they're, they're trying to hunt the bears by giving them food. But this is actually increasing the size. So sometimes I wonder if there's a good understanding of science. And I don't want to discount the knowledge of local people, because I do think these hunters understand the woods. They understand animals to some extent, maybe to a very good extent when it comes to tracking them and things like this. But I don't know if they really always understand population dynamics. And I also think that there's a lot of misinformation. Um, so a lot of their grandfathers grew up in Wisconsin without wolves. And there were tons and tons and tons of deer because of that. And wolves don't take that many deer, but they take some deer, right? And now, now there may be a few fewer deer. There's also chronic wasting disease and such. So they're complaining because it used to be easier to hunt. You could go out and just shoot in the woods and hit a deer. Now there's fewer deer. It's harder to hunt. 
and they think it's a problem, but they grew up in an environment that was unnatural, right? There weren't top predators. Now that we're going back to that environment, that more natural environment, it's strange to them. Um, I do remember being in the field and having hunters say things like, you know, but here on the CB radio or other places like wolves never existed. Maybe it was on Facebook. Wolves never existed in Wisconsin. This is from people who live in Northern Wisconsin. I mean, that's just not true. All records show that wolves lived in Northern Wisconsin until they were extirpated. And then, you know, eventually they came back. Right. But so there's a lot of misinformation and you do have to wonder about some of these like old ridiculous stories of little red riding hood. And I hate to even bring those up because it feels cliched, but those seem to have an impact. Right. I mean, mm. there was the, the, what the sheriff or something rod up there in uh, the UP of Northern Michigan, who was claiming that wolves were stalking kids at the bus stop. Yeah. I mean, this is like big bad wolf blowing down your house stuff. Like this is pretty ridiculous. They're just animals. I mean, you got to be careful around them, but they're probably not stalking school children at the bus stop. It was probably like a German shepherd or something. I mean, yeah, it seems impressive to me in a way that hunters uh, have been able to convince the state of Wisconsin that they and especially their hounds are so vital to the to the balance of, of wildlife and, you know, and, and managing wildlife populations that the state should be on the hook for 2,500 bucks per hound who gets killed in this hunt. It seems like, seems like this is more like something that there should be like hunter's insurance and, you know, private insurance companies should be making some money, selling, selling insurance to cover the, the loss of hounds. It just, it's, it's, it's really sort of amazing to me that the state's like, yeah, here's 2,500 bucks every time. Uh, one of your dogs and it's, it's an interesting program too because just as you say you know uh, that 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 example that you use is that no private insurance company would would insure these guys <laughs> because once their dogs get killed they continue hunting and running them in the same area and then they, they're still eligible for that compensation so it's you know insurance company would would cancel their policy immediately but in wisconsin they, they've even been, uh, there's been cases where uh, people have been compensated when they were illegally hunting and when they didn't even have a license to be hunting. Mm -hmm. Well, and Ben, I would say too, you know, and I'm trying not to be too critical, but we're, we're dealing with, I don't know, a small town culture where people feel as if, the, you know, they are, they're really closely knit and that everybody's going to get each other's back and do each other favors. Right. And I think you see that in the film, there's, you know, this big kind of blow up at the end and, you know, I don't want to give away too much of the film, but right. There's a moment where, you know, there's some violence really. And, um, and one of the, the local men says, you know, go ahead and do that. My, my wife works for the judge mm -hmm. and, or, you know, like, and he's doing some things that are potentially questionable or illegal. And, but it's like, well, you know, but this is my town and my work, wife, my wife works for the judge. And I feel like it's a little bit the same way with some of the conservation boards in Wisconsin. It's like, well, you know, this is our state. These are our woods. We're going to populate these boards with our buddies who are all pro hunting. And, you know, so let's get a little kickback from the government. Right. Right. And I also want to go ahead and keep on exploring a little bit what you think the what do you think the hunters best arguments are in, in these confrontations, if they have anything resembling a good argument against what you're doing. And most of the confrontations, if not all of the ones that we see in the film, seem to be based around the situation where you are driving up and down 
uh, a strip of public highway. Uh, and on either side of that highway, there's a hunt going on with hounds. And it, and it, and what I hear from the hunters in the film is that you are disrupting them collecting those hounds or those hounds crossing the highway as they're in pursuit, I guess, of bears or, um, or deer. Um, and, and I, and, and the thing that you say to them, Rod, time after time is that you are there to monitor these situations and that all you're doing is driving up and down this highway, monitoring what they're doing. But my sense is that, that they're, that, that they feel like they're calling bullshit on you and saying, you're not monitoring, you're disrupting this hunt and you're endangering our dogs. You're, we're afraid they they claim that they're afraid you're going to run over these dogs as they cross the road. Now in the film, I don't think we ever get to see any of these instances where any of those hounds are actually attempting to cross the road or and we really don't get much of a sense of 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 you driving back and forth most of the footage is sort of like you've been stopped like you've been blocked or you've pulled over and then we're seeing this stuff so am i understanding this correct i mean you know you, you can be honest with me when you're driving up and down this highway how much of it is monitoring and how much of it is also sort of trying to disrupt, trying to annoy them enough that they're like, that they would sort of call off the hunt because it's too, they're not able to control their dogs or get their dogs when they want to get them. I mean, is, is that what they're saying? Uh, that's what they're saying. And uh, there's no, no doubt that we are disrupting their hunt, but we are only disrupting their hunt because they choose to be disrupted by stopping, by engaging with us. You know, if they just go about their business, I mean, the national forest is hundreds of thousands of acres, you know, they have to be comfortable with other people that are running into them, you know, mm -hmm. uh, but when they stop and they want to mouth off or argue with us, then it's a win-win for us because we get the good video, you know, we get to show them their entitlement, you know, in this full display. Uh, and, uh, but, but we're, we're very conscious about, you know, how easy it would be for us to step over that line and, and to actually disrupt because we could, we could easily do that. We know exactly where these guys are running their dogs. We know what they're up to. And, uh, there's been, there was one case a few years ago where we were listening to the scanner and we knew where this bear was going to cross. And we got there before the hounder got there. And when he showed up to, to, try to grab his dogs. We were there instead. And, and uh, we were called out by the warden about it. And he says, that's just a little bit too close. You know, you're, you're getting a little bit too much in there. And so we kind of established with them that we would stay 50 yards away. And, uh, uh, but yeah, 90% of the time it's, you know, they see us and they think we're following them, but well, we're just going about our business. You know, we, we allow the radios to dictate where we're going by what we're hearing going on. We, see hunters you know it's unless they're in active pursuit of something and they're going to possibly run an animal across the highway then we're going to try to film that but um no we're not trying to disrupt them i mean it's that because because if had, had we done that we'd be getting you know tickets all the time you know right i mean and they they do say a lot of stuff about like don't put me on camera you shouldn't be filming us you're not allowed to film us it's confused. That's confusing to me too, because on the one hand, they seem perfectly comfortable and proud of what they're doing. Uh, and they don't see it as anything 
illegal or or morally questionable or ethically questionable at all but they seem very very hung up on the idea that you're capturing them in the act of doing whatever they're doing what is what is it that they are so worried about you capturing on film i think they know that uh the majority of the public who do not engage in any form of hunting will see things like bear baiting like a dog pursuing a coyote or cornering a wolf is 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 graphic and and violent and abuse and uh and they know that uh those videos have already made it to to youtube because people like them have published them on their own facebook pages and we've shared them so so they know that that's what we're looking for. We're looking for their mistakes on film, you know, the moments that they don't want anybody to see. You know, me and Joe have always said that when it comes to the wolf hunt in Wisconsin, that if we could film dogs baying up fighting a wolf, as we know happens during a wolf hunt, it would be over. You know, if we could show that video, it would be so impacting to the public that I don't think that that hunting practice could continue. And so so that that's the golden footage that we're always still pursuing is the footage that's going to, you know, create a part of the expression, but a George, George Floyd moment, but for wildlife and make people, you know, be so upset that they want to see change. So, so Ben, I've got a couple additions there too, in terms of the hunters claiming that there's disruption going on. Uh, I mean, I think Rod made a pretty good distinction where he said the intention is not to disrupt, but, Sure, it maybe is disrupting, but that's not the intention. Mm -hmm. um, and I will say that, you know, I spent time in the field with Wolf Patrol and most of the time it was, you know, sit and watch from 250 feet away or further. And I used a long lens, right? And it's just kind of monitor because the, the hope was you could get footage that would, you know, be useful for the public to be educated about this and push back. Um, I think one of the things we're running to uh, running into here is like this, this idea in, in legal circles of like, what's a reasonable expectation of privacy in, in a hunt or in on public lands. And I mean, generally in public places, there's no reasonable expectation of privacy. Mm -hmm. I get that people don't like to be filmed. I understand that it can be annoying, right? Like if somebody was following me and we weren't really following, but if somebody was filming me standing in a park across the way, filming me all the time, I would probably be like, eh, but I don't have to be in that park. And if it's a park where there's crime going on, right? So Wolf Patrol was working in areas where there was lots of poaching going on. So if I'm in a park where there's lots of crime going on, yeah, I might get monitored or filmed, right? Like uh, in terms of a citizen watch type of situation. We're also talking about multiple use land or multi-use land, right? So it's there for more than just hunters. And correct me if I'm wrong, Rod, but I mean, if you're if you're hiking with your dog in the national forest, are you supposed to have them leashed? I, if, if it's a pet dog and not a hunting dog. And I mean, I, dogs can be off leash, but it's illegal to have a pet dog off leash in many places. So, you know, it's, and I haven't looked that up, but, you know, that's, I remember hearing that in the field and right. So there's like these questions of, yeah, entitlement and privilege, like, well, why do these people get more privilege on the land than other people? And, you know, the way that the bill and the law were written were, you know, if you're in the line of sight of a hunter, you know, you could be disrupting them. And it's like, well, what if I'm hiking on a trail and I don't know a hunter is nearby or what if I'm birding and why do they get first dibs on all the land? Um, I will also say, 
you know, I've, I've been asked to speak to some like law classes in the past about kind of privacy and public lands and filming. And one thing that I've kind of learned is that it's an interesting exercise to think about when is monitoring okay? And then when is monitoring, I guess, questionable. So you're on a public road and you're using a camera that is acceptable to most people anywhere in national forest. It probably should be acceptable. But one thing that I never saw what patrol do, and I never did, was follow a hunter down a trail anywhere. I mean, legally, I probably had the right to. It's a forest. But I, one, it just seems dumb because I don't want to get into a conflict. And two, it just felt like getting a little too close. I never filmed, filmed in a hunter's house or you know, cabin or tent or anything like that. Um, but standing on a public road, filming what can be seen from a public road, that's another thing. Going down a trail where we know some baits were set, when we know the hunter is not there, that's another thing too, as long as you're not disrupting the bait. So, you know, where is the line? Um, most people say, yeah, we're not going to follow somebody in the woods. We're not going to go in a tent and film, but yeah, we'll film from public roads. And although it's annoying to them and maybe they think it's disruptive, it's free speech, right? And it's, it's, the work of activists and the media to bring these issues to the attention of the public. And if they can't, if you can't stand on a public road and do that, then I don't know what you can do. Hey, um, guys, I'm sorry, but I'm going to have to uh, quit and head out. Okay. Thank you so much, Rod, for... Uh, I'll leave you guys to it. Thank you, Ben. Yeah, yeah. Uh, my pleasure. And nice Joe, you can hang out for a little while yeah, longer? Yeah, okay, sure. Great. Okay, great. Thank you, Rod. Take Thanks, care, Joe. Bro. Always good to talk see you, buddy. You. I'll talk to you soon. I got some updates for you. Okay. I, I, so I have these. I have these thoughts. I mean, I keep every time you guys say anything, I, it, it it begs more questions. But the the uh, I'm wondering if if this if these questionable and illegal tactics are being are being used by the hunters and you, or or just like disturbing tactics that would change public opinion. Uh, are as rampant as as I think that you both think they are. Um, how come you haven't or no one's been able to get that sort of holy grail footage that they think would be able to be presented and change public opinion? Yeah, it's definitely hard. I mean, one thing I learned is it's hard to get out in the woods and get, you know, you, you're not going to get the wolf fighting the dog. I mean, the hunters don't even typically see that, right? Because the dogs are way ahead. Mm -hmm. um, so it's difficult. And, you know, I wasn't leaving public roads. I wasn't really going into the woods. Uh, but I do want to back up and say, I do think that there is a lot of poaching and a lot of questionable activity going mm -hmm. on. And I could describe some more of that in a minute. But I will say, I mean, I think that, you know, I don't know, 80% of hunters are probably ethical and out there and they're not breaking laws. But there are some and maybe 80% might even be low. Maybe 95% of hunters are, are ethical, but there are folks who are doing questionable things. And a lot of it is really hard to document, you know? So the use of xylitol, they'll put xylitol out on carcasses in the woods. Xylitol will kill a wolf very quickly. Rod was able to find treble hooks in the woods with chunks of meat just mm -hmm. hanging there. Like, what is, what is that for? That's meant to, and I'm pretty sure that's illegal. They called the warden, the warden's like, you can't do this. That's meant to inflict suffering and to, to hurt. Um, it's strange how much hatred there is for some of these animals, right? I mean, and it's strange how we as human beings generally interact with animals. You know, there's the charismatic megafauna that we love, 
And then there's these animals that we just hate for some reason, or some people hate. Um, But so, you know, things like finding xylitol in the woods or hooks in the woods, or actually seeing dogs fighting a wolf that are two, three miles out ahead of the hunters and are just being monitored by a GPS. They're very hard things to monitor. And that's where I think Rod was smart to start finding videos that hunters had recorded themselves with their phones. I mean, it's almost easier just to find that stuff and expose that than to try to get it yourself. Right. Um, So, you know, I do want to say, I think there are a lot of ethical hunters and, you know, I don't want to paint all hunters with this broad brush, but I, most people feel when they, when they look at a comparison of say hunting regulations in places like Minnesota and Michigan, you know, neighboring States compared to Wisconsin, that Wisconsin is just really kind of the wild West when it comes to hunting. And it, and because of that, it does seem to attract people who come from out of state and are really overzealous, I'd say in, in their tactics. And I, I tried to walk a fine line in the film. I don't know if you've ever seen like a PETA, you know, the society, whatever the protection society for animals, um, people for the ethical treatment of animals, you know, which is maybe a, a vegan group and I respect what they do, but they, they put videos out that maybe have a certain audience, but they're very extreme. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of like gore in them and yeah. they believe people need to see those. And, and that may be the case, but a lot of people just immediately shut down. Right. I tried not to include too much of that in the film, but I saw a lot of it, not necessarily in person, but I saw it on YouTube. I mean, yeah. literally, you know, getting a coyote or a wolf in a trap and then torturing it. Yeah. That's illegal. Just kill it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess, yeah, I wanted to tell the story of Rod, of the crew, of the issues of the hunter harassment thing, but I also didn't want to just pull too much of that footage that I do know exists and just basically disgust everyone. Yeah. Well, and I know you're not in Wisconsin anymore, but I want to get your take on on whether or not you feel like it's it's almost naive or uh, um, extremely optimistic to imagine that the court of public opinion uh, would affect uh, the Wisconsin state legislature or court system in any real significant way. I mean, they the Wisconsin state legislature spent this last year doing nothing but uh, suing to, 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 to cancel mask mandates and, um, and, and voting rights and gerrymandering and all that stuff. So, uh, you know, I mean, is, is, is Wolf Patrol almost naive in thinking that there's a court of public opinion that would actually affect laws here in Wisconsin? It's a really good question. And I mean, I want to say, yes, I'm not in Wisconsin any longer, but I did live there for six years. And I mean, I traveled all throughout the state. It's a beautiful state, lots of great things going on. Um, and I, I really do love the state. But I mean, if we were to talk about Wisconsin generally, I, I do find it to be kind of a peculiar place in terms of politics, right? And I mean, I grew up in Massachusetts, so that maybe says something from, about me, but I've lived all over the country. and. I do. I never had lived in the Midwest until I moved to Wisconsin. And I I do remember thinking, I don't know, or hearing when I was younger that Wisconsin was a very progressive state, pro-union and, you know, all this really great stuff going on in terms of progressive politics. That's like a birthplace of socialism in the U.S. too, a big, strong enclave in Milwaukee. And yeah. If, if, if that's your thing, you know, if you're into progressive politics, I, I thought Wisconsin was a place for it. But in living there for six years, it certainly didn't feel that way. So, I mean, to some extent in Milwaukee and in Madison, but the rest of the state, no. And um, 
yeah, I'm not real hopeful that, you know, the legislature is going to change and such. And that actually, it's interesting because that also brings it back to what Rod was saying. And I don't advocate for any illegal behavior. Uh, I've kind of read about and studied the radical environmental movement. And I've always been interested in like that question of what do you do when you get so frustrated with politics that, that you know, you just, you don't know what action to take. I've been interested in that question. And I mean, I've learned that democracy is very slow. It's much more slow than I would like it to be. But generally, I think things can work out. I did a film years ago on oil and gas development, the fracking stuff. And I mean, I saw stuff early on that felt like it needed to be regulated better and it wasn't. And it, maybe 15 years later, it was starting to get regulated. That was slow. You know, those 15 years were years where people were getting sick and people's lives were affected. The same mm -hmm. thing is happening with Wisconsin wildlife. And I'm not real confident that change will happen fast, but um, perhaps slowly. But again, also, I, I get why Rod's like, you know what? This is why I did the things I did in the past, because I felt like civil discourse wasn't getting me anywhere. Sure. You know, and again, I wouldn't have done the things he did. I don't condone them. But when you feel like you tried everything, you know, it's... um. It's complicated. In Wisconsin, I'm not sure. You know, I really feel like Wisconsin got a black eye over this February wolf hunt. I mean, it was in the New York Times. It was everywhere. Yeah. Wisconsin did yeah. not look good. Uh, well, it's it, been getting a lot of black eyes this past year, or, you know, for a while now. It has. The Kenosha thing, there's a lot of stuff going on. You know, I, I had um, some colleagues refer to Wisconsin, and, you know, I hate to say this because I do like Wisconsin, and I like well, they'll just say it was more of like a southern state in the north. I won't name the state, but they said it was like this state of the north. Well, um, I hear it all the time. People yeah. say we're Mississippi. Oh, Mississippi. Oh, I've yeah. never heard that one. But oh, yeah. yeah. And well, OK, so with Mississippi, <laughs> I spent time in Mississippi. It's a beautiful state. And, you know, I mean, not everyone has to have the same views as me. Right. Or right. We don't all have to share the same views, but it's. Wisconsin has really kind of dug in, I think, in the non-urban areas with traditional and conservative ways of thinking. And yeah. so it's it's hard to be someone who doesn't necessarily share those views in Wisconsin these days, I guess is all I can say, right? Uh, in, in all of these uh, pretty amazingly tense confrontations that he has throughout the film with hunters and and police officers and deputies and all these different people. He he comes off as 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 fairly fearless. And I wonder is that is that his nature? Is this fearlessness or is he just really good at at displaying that or portraying that or acting that way in these he's you know he's He's, he's pretty impressive in these confrontations in that he doesn't lose his cool. He doesn't back down. He's also seems to be charismatic and sort of charming enough to diffuse a lot of potentially more um, physical uh, and dangerous uh, confrontations. Uh, so I want to hear your sense of, of Rod, uh, the, out, the outer Rod versus perhaps the inner Rod. And I also would love to hear if to describe how you felt during those confrontations and what, what was running through your body? Mm -hmm. Yeah, those are really good questions. And I mean, obviously I can't speak for Rod, but I can kind of tell you what I think and observed. Um, and I mean, I, I met Rod when he was like 48 or something. So I didn't know the young Rod. Um, 
But I mean, I guess I'll say a few things. I mean, one, he is a good speaker and I think he has a way of being diplomatic at times. I know that he had made the decision that he wanted to start to try to talk more with hunters and relate to them and not just demonize them. Um, I don't know if that always comes across in the film, but you know, he did oftentimes try to just have dialogue with them. I think it does. There's that, there's that scene where the guy invites him to his, whatever, sit down on the yeah. and have the war council or whatever the hell he says. Yeah. It's pretty, Which, it's a, that guy pretty, really seems drunk to me. And it's amazing to me that he says he can't drink. What was your sense of his state of mind? Uh, yeah, the, the other guy was drunk. Um, yeah. This guy, some people have speculated that he was on something else. But I, I, <laughs> yeah, okay. I don't know. Okay. Um, it's interesting. Or he maybe he just knew he could have some fun. Um, hmm. But, you know, I will say, you know, Rod got started at an early age with the Sea Shepherd Conservation Society. And if you're not familiar with them, you know, if you're listening, you want to check them out. And, you know, they there was that whole show, show Whale Wars, about them. And, you know, that's out on fishing, on on boats, your big boats out in the ocean, like, com- kind of trying to stop whaling from happening. And there were some very tense situations there, um, conflicts between these conservationists and Japanese and Icelandic whalers, especially in those days. So he, I mean, I think he got used to conflict there yeah. and he, you know, he was in some pretty tense situations. And I, I think the other thing I'll say is he, you know, he spent six years of his life in prison. And one thing he did tell me is he learned early on that, you know, he had to stand up for himself in prison and it was stand up for yourself or you're going to be picked on all the time. So I think that probably did affect him in many ways. And he learned like, I'm not, I don't back down, you know, even if I get my butt whooped or something, I'm not going to back down because usually people are going to back off and then they respect you. Right. Um, So I think that's kind of, you know, what, the way he operates um, is like, I'm not going to back down from you and, you know, we'll see where this goes. Um, but he also tries to diffuse things generally um, in terms of, I guess, my reaction to some of these situations. Uh, I was, you know, I had the camera, so I always felt like somewhat protected by the camera. People are hesitant to do much when they know they're being recorded. But there were a number of instances, and one of them is depicted in the film, where we were blocked in. You know, we had no cell phone service. We didn't have a radio at that time. We are way out there. And, you know, you're just like, well, it wouldn't be that hard. They all have the CB radios for them to call their friends and just, you know, have 10 people come out here and beat us up, have some fun with us, you know. And But luckily, we were able to avoid that. Towards the end of the film, something like that pretty much happens or almost happens. And um, that was pretty, pretty difficult. Rod, I think, kept his cool for a lot of it until the end. And then I know, I mean, I didn't keep my cool that well at the end because, you know, there's something that happens that I'm like, that's not acceptable, you know, (laughs) not acceptable. So, um, you know, that's and that's an interesting line, too, for a filmmaker. You know, like, what do you do if people start being um, assaulted? You know, do you film it or do you stop it? Can you do both? Can you not do both? Um, but they, they were definitely nerve wracking moments and people would say like, you got to make sure, you know, you don't get shot or whatever. And I'm like, well, I think most people are good people and they're probably not going to shoot me, but I guess it only takes one crazy person for that to happen. Uh, luckily it didn't <coughs> after the last altercation in the film though, I pretty much decided like, that's as close as I need to get. I don't need <laughs> to get any closer. You know, the point has been proven that this is an issue that gets people really upset and, um, there's entitlement issues here. And, you know, I, I kind of proved my point. Right. And 
like I'm not going to put myself in that situation again. <laughs> so I don't know. Did I answer your question? I feel like it was a little roundabout there, but no, you answered it perfectly as far as I'm concerned, <laughs> but Joe, I want to congratulate you on crafting and all the hard work that it, that, that, uh, that you clearly see went into this. Um, I know you've been working on a, on a long time, but in crafting such a compelling film and sharing it with us and, uh, and with these Wisconsin audiences uh, here and at the Milwaukee Film Festival. So thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for having me, Ben. I really appreciate it.